Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're about to listen to a special message from Pastor Brett Esslinger of Saints Church. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Um, I want to share, uh, if you have a Bible, we're going to go to 2 Timothy. We're going to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I just want to take us through uh, a number of verses here. Uh, we're going to go from about verse 3, make it to verse 9, hopefully. And we're just going to roll our way through. And what we're going to do is I just want to unpack what's happening in this letter. Uh, because I think sometimes when we're thinking about uh, the scripture... Sometimes when we're studying it, we're looking a lot for application, right? We're like, how does this directly apply to my life? What's the one or two practical things? And, and we use this word that sounds Christian, and we say, we're looking for the wisdom of the scripture. And we're just, we pull out two or three bullet points and we go, okay, I'm going to have some activities and I'm going to build my life around these principles. And principles are great and they're important. But as a church, we have to shift at some point from only looking for application to learning how to interpret what the Bible's saying. And as we look at and we interpret what the Bible is saying, we actually shift our perspective. And as we're interpreting the word, we actually begin to interpret our life and our situation and our circumstance through the lens of the word. Instead of going the other way and going, I'm going to look at the word and get two or three points and maybe I can add it to my life. We start interpreting our life based on the truth of scripture. So we just begin to flip the script. So what I want to do is look at 2 Timothy 1 here. And what's important to know about 2 Timothy 1 is that 2 Timothy 1 has a distinctly different tone than 1 Timothy. It also has a distinctly different tone from Titus. Though 2 Timothy and Titus were written around the same time, they feel different. Why do they feel different? Because they're going to two different people, two different places, and to two different groups. Titus, it, it's a theological letter. He, he's talking about uh, uh, very specific ideas. It echoes more 1 Timothy. But in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his spiritual son. And he's writing to him not to share theological thoughts, though he does, He's writing to him to let him know that he's near the end. This is written near the end of Paul's life. He was in prison. Later he would go on to be uh, killed in prison, while imprisoned. Emperor Nero, it was a bad time to be a Christian. Uh, Emperor Nero had just burned down Rome, blamed it on Christians. So everyone was kind of a low-key Christian at that time. No one wants anyone to know that they're a Christian because they're all just blamed for all the problems. Sounds familiar at times. Not the same, trust me. They were like tarred and feathered and massacred and murdered. It's not the same. If you think we're living in persecution in Canada, we're not. Anyways. That's my personal opinion. I'll get back to the Bible. Anyways. So he's writing Timothy... And you can hear the, the desperation. I mean, let me just let the text speak for itself. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Come on, can you, can you hear the love? Do you hear the affection? I'm so thankful for you, and I'm thinking about you every night. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. 
And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember, now he starts to look back, I remember your genuine faith. For you shared the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Come on, he's like, listen, I've known you for so long that I can see this strand of faith, this lineage that comes down. I, I can see, I can see it in you. That's why I reminded you, this is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid laid my hands on you. Now, this is an important little note if we're going to learn how to interpret scripture, understand what he's saying here. He's talking first about this natural uh, propensity for faith that was a part of their family. That there's from generation to generation to generation that there's just this this faith and that's just a part of who they are as as people. It's in their genetic makeup. They are faithful people. There's there's just like the shred of faith. And then he says, listen, so there's a natural faith in you. But what he's reminding him to do is to stir up or fan into flame the thing that was spiritually placed inside of him. You see, when we place pastors into position, these aren't just jobs that people take. They're, They're callings and roles that people step into and they get step into them by the laying on of hands and they lay on hands and they impart a specific set of spiritual gifts and skills. So he says, listen, there's something natural that you can, I'm reminded of and that you carry in you, but there's something supernatural, meaning there is a deeper well of strength within you that does not come from you. So he's saying, Timothy, and what we need to understand, they're low-key Christians, they're hiding, he's pastoring, Timothy's pastoring in Ephesus. There's some division, there's some strife, there's, some, there's just some division in the church. And he's saying, listen, there's faith in you, so you're going to keep going, but I need to remind you that there's a source that is deeper. Today, I need to remind you that while there might be a strength of character that's within you that's carrying you through a difficult season, that there is something deeper that does not come from you that's only available through Jesus that will carry you through what's next. You might be in a dark time. You might be in a, in a negative time. You might just be in a place where you're like, I don't know where my world's went because it's melted around me. My friends and my relationships, I'm living in division. There is something inside of you that comes only from Jesus. And he's going to carry you through. You don't have to carry you through. He's going to carry you through. You get there by being faithful. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power love, and self-discipline. Now, if anyone grew up in church, you heard that verse. And you quoted it when you watched a scary movie. You know, you're like, God is not giving me a spirit of fear. <laughs> like, that's your Christian upbringing. If you hear it as an adult, you're like, I'm not timid. I don't have this problem. Okay, so let us understand now what in the time that we're living, well, let's just call, let's, let's take this verse and understand it right in the middle of this cultural moment. Okay? So in the middle of this cultural moment, we're living in a world that is divided. Friends, family, uh, co-workers, everyone's divided. Everyone's got a different opinion on different sets of circumstances. Everybody believes a different set of truths because though there's some source material, nobody believes each other's source material. Right? Like you can talk to somebody and this, they're like, listen, this is facts. And you can go and Google your own set of facts and you go, no, I got facts. And so there's this just a division because nobody has agreed on what is true. Now, what I hope we can believe on today is that Jesus is true. 
that Jesus is facts and that he's given us some tools on how to deal with this season. In the middle of this cultural moment, how do we live? And I have to tell you that I argued with Jesus about speaking this message. I did not want to talk about this. I'm like, I didn't want to talk about my church. I don't want to talk about your church. I'm like, I don't want to talk about this because I don't need to be a hot button person. I don't need to talk about a hot topic. I'm not talking about this because there's people in Ottawa. Today I'm sharing it because I believe that in the midst of this cultural moment, Jesus wants to give you and I some tools. The first thing we need to understand is what we're up against. What we're up against, the thing that's driving division is fear and fearfulness on every single side. On, on one side, it might be a fear for health, a fear for loved ones. Maybe it's a fear of the unknown. On, an, on the other side, it's a fear of government overreach. Or it's a fear of what's this going to do to our kids. It doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum. Everything that we're experiencing right now is, is derived from fear. doesn't matter where you fall on a political chart. Every part of this ideology on every side is driven by fear. And the truth is it's time for us to drop our ideology and to embrace the theology of Jesus. So he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. What does power mean? If we go to the original language, go to Greek, it's the word dunamis. Turn to somebody and say dunamis. It's where the root word of where we get the word dynamite. This kind of power is explosive power. How do you deal with fear? You deal with fear using the explosive power of the Holy Spirit. So there's three definitions around this word. You know, sometimes there's a word and it, it just means a couple different things. Greek was kind of famous for this. And, and just like English, it's very confusing. You know, we got some words that just mean a million things. And so the same thing is true here. So here's what's really interesting. The first definition around this world, uh, word, not world, word. Power or dunamis means a spiritual miracle working power. How do we break fear? With the spiritual miracle working power. As a follower of Jesus, you have a certain set of skills that don't come from you. They come from Jesus. These are spiritual gifts. They're a source of strength. They're a source of provision. They're, they're what enables you to do what he's calling you to do. Because how many know that you can't actually accomplish what he's called you to do without him? So here's a special set of tools also called a grace. You've been graced by God. So there's this spiritual miracle working power that breaks fear. Here's the other one, number two. This word, this definition of this world actually speaks of moral power and excellence of soul. Moral power and excellence of soul. So God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but let's just put it right in there. But he has given us moral power and excellence of soul. I think what we could use in this world right now is a little bit of excellence of soul. Where we say, listen, I'm not going to attack you as a person for your set of beliefs. Why? Because I have an excellence to soul that, and I have a moral power. I have a strength in my, own, uh, in my own ability to go, listen, you are not the issue. Your issue is not the issue. You are a human being. You're a, a child of God. You were created, handcrafted, masterpiece, made by God. I'm, I have an excellence of soul to say I can separate your opinion from you as a person. I think that's what we need right now. We need an excellence of soul that says, listen, I'm not going to get caught up in all of this mess. And it's not to say that we're above. It's just to say that I'm stronger than being pulled to the left or to the right. 
And that strength comes from Jesus. The third is interesting. It's speaking of the definition of the word dunamis means power and resourcing arising from numbers. So what does that mean? It means that God has given us not a spirit of fear of timidity, but power, power, miracle working power, excellence of soul, and power arising from numbers, or we can put it in a word that we understand through community. Come on, you beat fear through community. You say, listen, iron sharpens iron. There's always going to be sparks when we're sharpening one another. So we embrace the spark. But listen, if the iron start, stops sharpening the other piece of iron, we all get dull. And it begins to erode what? Our excellence of soul. And as our excellence of soul begins to get eroded, our spiritual miracle working power begins to erode as well. Why? Because our heart doesn't reflect his heart. It begins to reflect our heart and our ideology more than our theology of Jesus. Theology just meaning our understanding of the scripture. The second thing he says, listen, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear and timidity, but love. This Greek word here is agape. It's nice, agape. Here's the definition from John Mark Comer. I just love the way that he phrases it in his book, Live No Lies. He says, agape love is compassionate commitment to delight in the soul of another and to will that person's good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. How do we beat fear with this kind of love? I'm going to read it one more time. This is what that love looks like. Agape love is compassionate commitment to delight in the soul of another and to will that person's good ahead of your own, no matter the cost to yourself. So we beat fear with genuine love and putting somebody else before us, no matter the cost to ourselves. You could call it sacrificial love. You know, in Ephesians uh, 5 and 6, when it starts talking about marriage, uh, there's a lot of... uh, thought around the verses that talk about gender roles, right? But what everyone misses is right before he defines those roles, the Apostle Paul says that when you love one another, you should love one another, and husbands and wives should submit to one another. He begins to talk about mutual submission to one another. So before you ever get into who's doing what or what that makeup of the power structure looks like, it looks like mutual submission to one another. In other words, it looks like sacrificial love. Now, when we're thinking about this kind of love, what does love and power have anything to do with breaking fear? We understand the power parks. Yeah, 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 there's amazing things. When you read the Gospels, you'll find that before every major miracle that Jesus performs, Scripture says that he was moved with compassion. So if you're wondering, how do I begin to function more in that spiritual power side of this? Like, how do we see the the book of Acts come to life right now? Because I believe it's all possible. I've seen people healed. I have friends who've witnessed with medical verification the resurrection of the dead. I'm talking like six months ago. So it's not something that's like years ago. You're like, I don't know about that. Listen, well, there's a doctor on site, so he could verify. All of those things are possible, but they're possible when we're moved with a deep love, an agape love. Love breaks fear. Last thing, here are the three of the tools that break down fearfulness. He says, Self-discipline. 
And everyone's like, come on, man. You got to have something else. Self-discipline's hard. Trust me, I know. I'm aware. But when we're talking about self-discipline and we strip it back to the original language, the definition of that word is a calling to soundness of mind. A calling to soundness of mind. Our society has lost its mind. On every side, okay? I don't care if you're UCP, NDP, another three-letter abbreviated word. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you fall on. Liberal, progressive, you're from the United States, Republican or Democrat. I don't care what side of the spectrum you exist. Every side of the spectrum has lost its mind. And so Jesus says we overcome fear by returning to a soundness of mind. A soundness of mind that we also have to understand as Christians, we handle and process things differently than other people. Why? We handle it differently because you and I have a confident hope in Jesus. So you might not have ever dealt with the level of fear that your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, or your employee is dealing with right now because they have no idea where they're going. They have no idea that there's miracle work and power that's available, that Jesus can heal and transform a situation. So you have within you this what I call God confidence, and you've been handling this situation, you've been handling this business, and you might have been spouting off opinions without realizing that there is fear that is gripping people desperately because they don't have what you already have. Old school, you know, this old school language to say a blessed assurance. I don't even know what that means. They just say it. I do know what it means, but let's say God confidence. So let's not underestimate the impact of fear, but then let's not be owned by fear. Let's return to a soundness of mind and get this. The second part of this definition is to be moderate or in moderation. So I'm suggesting to you not to be on the left or the right of the political spectrum. I'm suggesting to you today that there is a third way. It is the Jesus way. And it says to be moderate. To come right up the middle. Maybe, as we hopefully turn the corner on this thing, I'm believing we are. Maybe our role isn't to pick a side. Maybe our road is to bring together every side. Say, listen, I can be a person of peace. I don't have a horse in this race because my, my belief system is not tied to an ideology that skews one direction. My belief system is tied vertically, not horizontally. So I can just stand in the middle here and maybe have some soundness of mind and help everyone understand that, listen, you all got facts and y'all got the internet and y'all are epidemiologists. I barely passed bio in high school, but I can make, anyways. <laughs> there is a call for Christians to have a voice of reason. And the reason that says, listen, though this thing has exposed some things that you don't like in somebody else, um, there's this thing called forgiveness. 
There might be in somebody in your family that you are convinced that they are wrong and that you are right, but because you follow Jesus, you're going to forgive that person. You want to know what the road to restoration looks like? It looks like forgiveness. Okay, so as we now move further into this, let's go to verse 8. That was just verse 7. Okay, let's go to verse 8. We've got two more to go. It's three minutes. Paul writes to Timothy, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Don't let anyone ever convince you that when you become a Christian that any of us said it was going to be easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. We follow Jesus, we follow him one step at a time, but we should never be ashamed about this confident hope that we have. We should never be ashamed about the fearlessness that we can live with and live in. You also don't have to be ashamed if you say, listen, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm afraid. You don't have to be ashamed of your fear because the moment you can recognize that you're afraid is the moment that you can invite Jesus in to heal the situation. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. Listen, guys, I, I'm going I'm to tell you something that's going to rock you at a, the deepest level. I was in band in high school. And not only that, at one time in my life, I was in a marching band. Now, here's what I need you to know. Nobody in high school knew that I was in band. I'm, I was a low-key band nerd. I took a music composition class. I did that. And people were like, oh, that's cool. Because I, I was also at the same time touring in an actual band, uh, making good music. And so they knew that part of me, but I was ashamed of that other part of me. And so nobody learned this moment until graduation. I went to Ross Shepard, T-Birds, let's go. We're at the Jubilee Auditorium, and you know there's that band pit, and it's hydraulic. So nobody knew that I was in band until... Graduation, audible gasp. That's not true. Nobody cares. Only the only one that cared was me. I was just living ashamed. I was living ashamed. Now it turns out God is good because what I learned was it goes back down and there's pizza underneath. So while everyone was inside, pays to be a band nerd then, doesn't it? That three and a half hour ceremony. I had a great time. But a lot of us right now are particularly dealing with being ashamed and being ashamed with the way that other believers are acting. But at the end of the day, we're all going to end up in heaven together. And so while you might not agree, you do have to let go and put down your weapons against somebody else that you don't agree with within the family of faith. You don't have to like it. It's not going to feel good. It's not, it doesn't feel good to be like, I forgive you. Like that doesn't always feel good. Not in the moment. Not in the moment. Don't let the behaviors of others that you don't know define the one that you do know. Okay, I'm going to just wrap this up. Let's go fast. 
buckle up, okay? This is 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, New King James. For God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The application or taking the interpretation of all these things, creating a, a, a fearless people who can love, love passionately, love with the heart of Jesus. What does that do? It creates an atmosphere in this room. It creates a space and a place where people can be transformed by the power and presence of Jesus, where anyone and everyone can come to encounter Jesus, where people can get saved. And by saved, it's like, you, like that's offensive term. What do you mean? I don't need to be saved from something. No, no. What you don't understand is you do need to be saved from something. And that you will only, 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 only ever accomplish your full potential when you give your whole life to Jesus because he, he created you and he put all that good stuff in you. And he's the only one who can get it out of you. And listen, you're like, no, but this is the way that I am. Listen, that's why Jesus said everyone needs to be born again. It doesn't matter how you were born. You got to be born again. So in this atmosphere where we understand the saving power of Jesus, where I could go down the row person by person, story by story, and you can tell me what Jesus has done in your life. Listen, when I get a new iPhone, I tell everybody and I use the phrase, come on, Amy, bring it. You're already here. Oh, there's no sound. When I get an iPhone... When I get an iPhone, I want you to know that this overpriced piece of technology has changed my life. So how is it that I'm able to publicly declare that my iPhone changed my life when Jesus Christ literally laid his life down for me? I'm a little nervous. No, I'm sorry. Jesus changed my life. And yeah, I'm an early adopter and I love technology and I want to tell you about all those same things. But in the same breath, if Jesus has done something for you, then I'm just imploring you to tell somebody what he's done. And can I tell you, if it's good enough for you and it's changed you and transformed you, it's given you a new confidence and it's given you a new swagger and it's given you a new hope and you see the world in a new way, don't you think that your best friend needs that too? Come on, if it works for you and you would just tell them about your phone, why don't you just tell them about Jesus? You're like, ah, oh, but church, this is my place. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm going to get to that in a moment. It's not yours, it's his. He saved us. We create an environment where anyone, in spite of whatever background they come from, can come here. This is uh, Colossians 3.11. It says, in this new life, I'm going to read it in NIV. Let's jump to the NIV one. It starts with here. It says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Come on, let's understand it now in our context, literally meaning here. So when it says Gentile, it's just somebody who wasn't a Jew. When it's a Jew, it's somebody at this time who no longer had to follow the tradition. They were born into it, but they were following certain sets of traditions. And you're just like, why does Paul get awkward and talk about circumcision? Because it was an issue. It was a problem where all these people who were born Jewish were imposing their cultures on people who were not. And God said, listen, I sent Jesus. I fulfilled the law. You don't need to live by that anymore. So this was saying, listen, whether you're traditional or non-traditional, whether you're a Jewish believer or you're not, whether you're a barbarian, which was an immigrant who didn't speak the language, 
You're like, I don't like that language. It's not appropriate. Not in the 21st century. Why? Because we do not apply 21st century ethics to a text that's thousands of years old. Okay. And he says, Scythian. Scythian. Not Darth Maul, Lord of the Sith. Though this is where all the good ideas come from. It comes from the Bible. The Scythians, like the Sith, were believed to be desperately evil people. They came from a, a certain region near the Casper Sea, and they were brutal warriors. And there was a phrase that when they would capture you, they would scalp you, and that was known as being Scythianized. So they would just cut your, like for me, my hair is naturally being Scythianized. And then they would cut your head off, clean your skull off, turn it upside down, and use it as a bowl or mug. Which you think is awkward, and they thought was awesome. It says, whether you're a Scythian, meaning the, the definition of evil. That's what he's saying. Slave or free, Christ is all and is in all. So you could say, here at Kingdom Church, there is no master unmasked, vaxxed or unvaxxed. There is no liberal UCP or NDP. Here, Christ is all. Christ is in all. And anyone, this is not my idea, it's God's idea, Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord yeah. will be saved. Yeah. You guys up for some bonus content real quick? Yeah. Bonus content into overtime. <laughs> Pastor Harrison's a better preacher. He gets it done quicker than I do. I get too excited and distracted. Pastor Brian Houston says there's a difference between living saved and living called. A lot of us have, as believers have bought into the lie that we only need to live saved because we're saved from something. My friends, I need to remind you today you're saved for something. So we don't just live saved, we live called. Again, not my idea. We'll jump back to 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. For God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So he saved us, called us, that he has a purpose for us, and he's graced us. I want you to know that you're saved and that not only can you be saved, but you are called, that there's a destiny, that there's a purpose for you, and that in that purpose you are grace, that there's a supernatural ability that God is giving you to accomplish that person. So here's the difference, living saved versus living called. This is the bonus time. It's overtime only right here at Kingdom Church. When I live saved, I say my life is my own. When I live called, I know that I'm bought with the price. Yeah. Come on, when I live saved, I say, I have a life to build. When I live called, I say, I got a world to win. Yeah. When I live saved, I say, there's a future heaven for me. When I live called, I say, I'm bringing heaven to earth. Yeah. When I live saved, I say, our family and our church is us for and no more. But when I live called, 
my family, my church is legacy and generationally minded to shift and change a region. When I live saved, I find happiness through tranquility that reflects the beach that I found on Instagram. When I live called, I find fulfillment through vision and purpose. Come on, when I live saved, there's a security through building my house. When I live called, there's wholeness, wellness, and fruitfulness through building his house. Come on, I don't know about you. I don't want to live saved. I want to live called. I want to live for purpose. I want my life to have meaning. I'm willing to sacrificially love somebody and put myself in the middle of an awkward conversation so that everybody involved can find the hope in life that's only found in Jesus. If I have to be the bridge to get them there, you can walk all over me. Come on, that's what love looks like. I want to pray for you. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. But just before I pray, I want to just give this opportunity. Maybe you're here today, you're in this room, or you're watching online, and you say, you know what? I know about Jesus, I know about God, or maybe I think I did, but I don't have a personal relationship with him. Maybe you grew up around church, and and somebody else always had this faith, and you're like, I want that for myself, my friend. It's not a second-hand kind of thing. It's a personal thing. And you can literally hold the hand of the one who holds the world. Maybe you haven't had much of an interest in any of it. But there's something deep within your soul that says, I'm hungry for purpose. My friend, you can find it when you find Jesus. So if you're here today or you're watching online and you say, yeah, that's me. I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to start a relationship with the creator of the universe. I want to hold on to the hand of the one who holds the world. I want to find purpose and I want to find hope and I want to taste life and love to the fullest. If that's you, I want you to give me a wave in three, two, one. Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Thank you, thank you. Come on, maybe the first time you say, man, I want to invite Jesus into my life. What I want you to know is that when you accept Jesus in, you're not only accepting Jesus in, but you're stepping into a family, the family known as Kingdom Church. So I want to pray for you, and I want you to understand that this is the starting line for your journey with Jesus. It's not the end. And that here you have found people who will love you and love you well. It's not always gonna be perfect, it's not always gonna be easy, but they love you. Jesus loves you and has a plan and purpose for you. Come on, if you raise your hand for the first time, we're gonna pray with you, but everyone in the room is gonna do it with you as this sign that we're all in this together. So I'm gonna pray it, then you all repeat it after me. We say this, dear Jesus, I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything, my wins and my losses. My sins and my successes, they're all yours. From this moment on, I'm following you one step at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, can we give a big round of applause for those who prayed that prayer for the very first. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. If you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.